Welcome to another episode of the Equip Podcast. Today we're talking about Romans Bible study. And we're about halfway through chapter five at the moment. This past Sunday, we did the first 11 verses. And this coming Sunday, we're going to be talking about verses 12 through 21. Uh, The beginning of our discussion really picked up on this theme of reconciliation, and that was a a big feature of the sermon as well. Um, And what we talked about was this, the concept of reconciliation, at least as it is in Greek, uh, it's based on a word that has to do with exchange, so to change one type of relationship for another. And so we see in verse 10, uh, it says that while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Uh, and earlier in verse 11, it says, we now have peace with God. And so the the idea that Paul is laying out here is that we have gone from a hostile relationship with God to a peaceful relationship with God through what Christ has done for us. And so we unpacked that a little bit more, thinking about um, the fact that a lot of people don't necessarily think of themselves as enemies or even hostile to God. Certainly there are... Um, strident atheists or even anti-theists who do have a hostile relationship to God, although the irony would be uh, they don't believe God exists, uh, and yet there is this hostility towards the idea of God himself. But for the most part, we, we don't tend to think of ourselves as at enmity with God, but that is clearly what Paul is saying, and it's in other places as well throughout the Old and New Testament, that our sin actually puts us at odds with God, and then we lean into that even further, if left to our own devices. So we talked about what the idea of reconciliation and what that would mean, and then we spent a good bit of time talking about this sequence here in verses 3 through 5. I'm going to read it again real quick so we can hear it. But it says in verse three, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. One of the things that we talked about and was uh, brought up by uh, someone there who is a mental health counselor that Um, this is actually the process that shows up in counseling is, um, and one of the, one of the things he said was that a lot of, a lot of issues that people deal with that bring them to counseling, uh, relate to uh, refusing or being unable to actually suffer well, to actually sit in their, in their pain and metabolize it properly, uh, but rather seeking to avoid it and not deal with it. And then over time, it creates more and more problems. And so learning to suffer well is something that we do in counseling. And then that itself produces endurance, which builds our character, which then produces hope, which we talked about how that hope is then also cycled back into future sufferings. And there's a sense in which uh, as we learn to endure suffering well, we are not only hopeful for a future where um, we will be in the new heavens and the new earth when there will be no suffering, but we gain confidence that God will bring us through the sufferings that may lie ahead of us. And so we, we spent some time dealing with that, talking too as well about how suffering is something that 
politics is a given in the Christian life. Um, a little bit later on, you know, when Paul's going to talk about us being united to Christ in his death and um, his death counts as my death and his life is my life, that life includes suffering. And so it's something that we experience because of our union with Christ. And at least here, it's comforting that there's a relational element to it, not just that Christ is with us through our sufferings, or as verse 5 says, that the Holy Spirit has been poured out in our hearts, um, enabling us to endure the suffering well. Uh, But suffering is something that we do together as a Christian community. And so that, you know, Paul says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of that, of God. Not only that, but we, we rejoice in our suffering. So we, we spent some time thinking about what all that would entail for our community. Um, and then we took, as usual, we took several, several rabbit trails. Uh, I, won't, uh, I won't give those to you right now, just for time's sake. Uh, but that's one of the things that you could get as if you were to join us on a Sunday morning. Uh, we didn't talk as much about the second half of the chapter in some ways because it overlaps with um, things we've talked about earlier, the idea that we've been justified by God, saved from his wrath. Uh, we did spend some time talking about the fullness of time or the right time. So in verse 6, when it says, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Um, and you know, we, we spent a little bit of time discussing why why God didn't choose to solve the problem of sin shortly after the garden? Uh, Why did we have the whole Old Testament history leading up to when Christ actually came? Um, And more or less where we landed with is part, uh, if we think about what Paul does in Galatians 4, where he talks about um, humanity being under a tutor of the law. And there's a sense in which corporately humanity has to grow up and grow into maturity we can see that there was a certain amount of time that needed to elapse before Christ would come. There was um, set up uh, both in the stories and the symbols of the Old Testament that would help us appreciate the fullness of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Um, But we also punted to a a bit of mystery in that anytime we ask about why God did a certain thing at a certain time, um, the truly proper answer is, I I don't really know. Uh, I can't, unless God reveals directly why, in some way, we can't understand the timing that God may have. So we spent some time on that, and then we we wrapped up with um, a little bit more discussion um, about the next section, kind of leading into what happens in chap- in verse 12 through 21. So let me read verse 12 through 21, and then just kind of pick on some things that are going to be prominent in our discussion this coming week. So Romans 5, starting in verse 12, and I, one of the things I noted is that this chapter is maybe, or this section of this chapter is maybe as significant as Romans 3, 21 through 26, um, which some people will suggest is the center of the Bible, not in a, in a physical sense, but in that this is, this is where the gospel is just really unpacked in the most clearest way. So uh, Romans 5, 12, though, does something a little bit different. So in verse 12, starting... Uh, Paul says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. 
But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, the big thing that we're going to lean into this coming week is this contrast between Adam and Christ. And we're going to do that in two ways. One is to understand what typology is, which is not a a term that we've used, I think, yet. Uh, But there's a specific way of reading and interpreting the Bible uh, that looks for types. And so I'm going to explain a little bit more next week what a type is and how Adam could be considered a type of Christ, um, and as well how other figures in the Bible can be types of Christ. And it's not limited to figures. Um, There are typological, we could say, events, and there are typological institutions that point towards Jesus in some way or another. So we're going to talk about those this coming week. And we're also, we're going to get into a little bit, I'm not sure how much we will, but the discussion will probably drive this, of what to do with the fact that Paul seems to be really leaning into Adam as a historical person, and that's really necessary for Adam's, uh, the way that he's comparing Adam and Jesus really hinges on Adam not just being a mythical figure from the past, but being a real live historical person. And historically, Christianity has affirmed and taught that idea. Um, That's a plain reading of the early chapters of Genesis suggests that, the way that Adam shows up in genealogies suggests that, the way Paul uses him here suggests that. And yet we live in a day and age where most all of the scientific evidence available suggests that not only was there not a historical Adam and Eve, but that historically that was not even possible for all of humanity to be descended from a single couple. And so on the one hand, we want to be fairly scientifically literate. We want to understand Uh, what people who understand more about anthropology and archaeology and genetics and other branches of science know, but we also don't want to take what a scientist says as truth that cannot be prone to error and is infallible and then adjust our Bible reading accordingly. And so we want to chart a course forward that is not... um, Throwing away science because it disagrees with the Bible um, is understanding of what the scientific issues are, but is also not willing to flinch away from what is required to 
believe that the Bible is true and all that it affirms, and that Paul is not mistaken about his understanding of Adam, but he's right about everything else. Um, in some ways, it is a slippery slope, but in other ways, it is it is a confidence issue that if we allow for Paul to be wrong about Adam, uh, his historicity or how he relates to Christ, um, then we're in a position where we have to question whether Paul's right about some of the other things he says. And then if we take that a little bit further, now we're reading everything Paul says under this um, suspicion of maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong, and we've shifted away from God's Word through Paul being our ultimate authority to our own ability to reason being the ultimate authority that will decide what is or is not true in the writings of Paul, which are part of Holy Scripture. And so a research interest of mine for several years now, honestly going back to um, even before I taught biology, at the high school level was what do we do with all of the scientific evidence that points for the most part in one direction and what we read in the early chapters of Genesis, how other Christians through history have read Genesis, which seems to point in the other direction about the nature of man and man's ultimate origins. And so we may wrestle with that a little bit on Sunday. It, it really depends for the most part on what kind of questions are generated. Um, but we really are going to, for the most part, talk about this idea or doctrine of original sin, which is drawn from this passage, and how do we understand that today? So I hope you're able to, if you're able to, to join us. Uh, it's We've had some great discussions, great questions. Um, it, it's as much as I might bring some studying and learning to the table to help unpack the Book of Romans, it's, I, I really enjoy the fact that it is a collaborative relationship that without some good questions and some good observations and some insights from the people who show up on Sunday morning, it, it's not as, uh, the experience is not as fulfilling for all of us as it could be. So if you can, we hope to see you there and we will continue on through Romans chapter five. Mm-hmm.